0: all right final poem for my father misnamed in my mouth sunlight still holds you and gives your shapelessness to every room by noon the kitchen catches your hands misshapen sun rays the windows have your eyes taken from me your body i reorder my life With absence, you are everywhere now where once I could not find you, even in your own body. Death means everything has become possible. I've been told I have your ways. Your laughter haunts my mother from my throat. Everything is possible. Father light washes over the kitchen floor. I try to hold a bit of kindness for the dead and make of memory a sponge to wash your corpse. Your name is not addict or sir. This is not a dream. You died and were buried three times. Once after my birth, again against your hellos shedding into closing doors, your face a mask I placed over my face. The final time, you beneath my feet. Was I buried with you then? I will not call what you had left anything other than gone or sweet, perhaps. I am not your junior, but I fell in love with being your son. Now what? Possibility was a bird I once knew. It had one wing. Mushmouth's maybe crown. One. Manacled man-mangled, moreover-made, menace-masked, maybe-molded, moribund, mostly manipulated, magnanimously marred, mired, mush mouthed. more mord, more. Manicled man-meanly measured, man-monkey, mixed-mits, murky mirrors, America's man-man, minstrel-married, mop-head, magnum-man, mama's mine. Might munched, manacled man mimics martyr movements, moshes minus music, muses, murder made manifestations, my madness, my master. Two, my madness, my master. Many mistake my mood, manhandling my mode. Maybe me making minimalist mumblings means my matriculation, man made monster, moves merrily, mystifying monogamy. Mainly me, mime monsters malicing municipalities. Me make maintainable moans. Me menu. Me metaphor. Me madmen's monitored mission. Merchants masturbate midst my mouth. Me might munch. Make men mate monks my molars. My mausoleum multiplies. Three. My mausoleum multiplies immemorial. Me misery impossible emperor and maybe me mid moonlight's improvisations. Me immediate, might's emissary. Mayhem maims my museum. Me improvise minutes, masticate memory, mortuary mammal. Mythic, melisma-minded memory makes me meet myself minus mink, mirth, magic. Myself's mess makes me member muzzle mincing mouth. Maybe murder make my mouth mine. Four, maybe murder make my mouth mine. Me embellish mercy, mercy mid-morning. Morning masquerades mercy, imposter. Mercy mouths impaled miracles. Miracles midwife my mind. My mind implies miracles emancipating me. Impressive, me embroider impeccable embellishments. Maybe murder make my mouth mine. Me impressed embroidered emblems amongst my muscles. Me emaciated emergency, am embargoed myth. My embargoed myth emaciated imagined emergencies, implicated empty embraces. Emotions imitate monsters. Emotions must make music. Me, my monster, am mine, mine, mine. Implosive, me emperor, am imprecise empire. Maybe murder make my mouths mine. Order of Events. First, he taught us to use the dead as shawls in the viscous winter escorting his arrival. Next, he taught us to forget the dead were dead, our dead, and dead because of a wager we did not consent him to make with the thin-lipped savior of his own pantomime. Third, he delivered on promises that blew off the tops of homes and places whose names he could not pronounce. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown, forced to fit a quiet country needing nothing from a crown where once was honey-unhived competition. The drones meant for war, prepared for war. We dusted our shoulders of shadow silent reconnaissance, surveilled as practice for a massacre we did not consent to. The royal parade prize malady stumped its sequence through, beat drums of human skin from which emanated a rhythm impossible to decipher. I too would shake my ass to the sound of stars falling nightwise into a pit of myth-bent nomenclature if the names sounded like home. Under eroding circumstances, this kingdom could become home. Under eroding circumstances, my gasp has become home enough, love not consented to yet detected from beneath my mindless right hand pressing its devotion to ritual over my heart. Flag above, waving heaven and blood into the smoke-diffused sky, I quake my way through anthems beneath. Rockets, glaring off my breath, forced to evidence I belong. The crown is crooked. We straighten it with vote-vapid hands. The crown sits too heavy for the king to carry on his own. When it falls, oh say can you see, strikes its inquisition. My knees, Summoned to straighten at the hinges permission most questionably opens from. Spike the earth with a kiss. Could I kneel my way to revolution? Would that goad the king to unzip? You can like stomp or moan or whatever, you can make noise. (laughs) Only if you want to, I'm not saying you have to. Maybe I'll do one more. Yeah, got about 20 minutes left. Time goes by fast when you're up here. Okay, so yeah, I'll do I'll do one more from here, and then I'll I'll fill it out after that. Um, final poem for the moon. My first lover my clavicles chiseler sculpting me into blue lamentation and crucible for your lunacy summon me to scuffle forward cancer moon cancer rising and fill myself on your dust flashed milk your gray honey black green grasses used to sharpen their night blades my paramour who gowns me in a yawning glint heliosis canvas by which you find your aspects Find your shape misshapen in seven-eighths, your eighth self finally filled with ochre blood, or the ruddy salutations of familiar fever. You pass your sickness to me like fervor, my heart a moon learning all its phases at once. My idiolect and diaphragm, deliberate discs slipped from Toth's spine. Elysium, I pitch my body beneath, white morning glories opening from my sweat flushed back. I feel my veins heart pluck toward you arise like any body of water compelled into risk pulled up the god ladder of your gibbous you perfect your appetite in my blood hematite of harvest scholosite that pulls my blood waves to zenith in your skull of good omen your lambent weight witness to worship and worry I. A sun celibate celebrant ensconced in pearl My mood unravels in your fingerless hand I dance loop-backed in the armory of your niveous eye Your snake-fang posture I hang from my ear Your crescent weaning me off your nectar I will grieve your circumference, your diameter Your secant and chord as you renew yourself with erasure Moon as a mouth no more Moon as a wound, no more Moon wound round my fists, no more Moon in the grips of hunger Moon chip-toothed, goat-eye round in shock, no more Moon no beast aspires to kiss Moon the color of my coming, no more Misery moon, moon dipped in a wail Moon sick, no more Moonward dust floats, but lingers, no more Moon-heavy chimney, no more Moon-washed tongue washing me, no more Full moon night's chandelier, no more How high the no more moon The cow jumps over the never moon Moon river, no more Wider than a mile, my arms take the shape of you, no more do not watch me while I look for you in the galaxy that breathes your many names. Sukuyomi, Koyoshaki, Shangu, Kansu. I am malaise by moon glut, moonstruck, lunatic eclipsed by my lips, supplicant. Oh. So I haven't learned how to read prose, so I just jump into it like it's a poem. Um, <laughs> So like your backstory, just listen, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) This is a much later chapter that I can read in isolation because it has so much that's just in it for itself. Um, So I'll read this and then see how much time I have left and maybe I'll read another excerpt from it. I won't tell you what chapter is, I'll say chapter X. Chapter X, (laughs) Kwame's Crown. One. Flowers offered no scent to evening's altar, and the musk of neighbor's horses fell into the ruts of shadows, stagnant air filled with folklore as each house in hours bore whispers of the dead, their murmurs and chorus with leaf rustle, and the subtle scratch of mice squeezing their heads under a front door for a taste of rice deserted in a bowl on the floor the one who forgot the bow listening closely to ghost stories as though somewhere in the eerie narrative their own name approached. While in the cemetery lying above their own grave, a man opened his eyes to sunset rusting the window panes as he lifted himself from the dirt and stood in the grass that entered his translucent feet. Franklin stared at the grass that entered his translucent feet. Then he began to levitate indiscernible from clouds. As evening air rushed through him, he looked down from his growing height, his burial shrinking in the distance his floating created between himself and the ground. The house he had lived in for almost 30 years became a building block in a crowd of toys portraying a town. Then the toys, the toy trees shrank, their leaves hissing in the wind that billowed Franklin above all he had known. Billowed above all he had known, he saw from the windy sky roads crisscross each other into an unfamiliar board game. Lantern lights moved in concert like a conspiracy of fireflies beneath him. Their carriers unaware of Franklin's spirit rising above them, observing them take their time. The trees soon to be called God's place towered dutifully over all things living and dead in ours. Its gnarly branches waved at Franklin like a clutch of omens. He saw the lake and its attending trees whose gnarly branches waved at Luther, Philip and Justice as they swam and clutched each other against solitude. The lake glistened back, a sprinkling of small fires under sunset's surrendered light. Even from high up, he saw with the eyes of the dead the hundreds of fish thin their hunger through the din water. When he turned his head, he saw the spare and somber cabins of Turney scattered across the woods the crooked brown heads of their roofs sloped into quiet confession. He saw Foster's crooked and quiet house and lowered his ghost form into the woods just outside of Turney to walk the nostalgic walk in his new invisibility, past where he mistook his own once lover for a deer that would soon learn to speak his name with an animal hunger he was shocked to see the forest populated by other transparent figures of human and uncanny forms parading beneath oak shade toward Turney. It was then that he heard the drums playing and the human and uncanny figures flew on small wings, floated on footless legs, paced on four paws, turned in the wrong direction from the pelvis so as to confuse its predators toward the music. Through these haunted woods, beneath squirrels leaping in the green chandeliers, boughs weaved of themselves. He stepped without stepping to Turney, soundless though beneath where his feet would have made sound were the scatterings of nature broken by weather and beast. Nature, weather and beast scattered about him, through him as he made his way to the fire lit drum circle with the other spirits and listened with the living Turnians and the dead to rain, Foster and Aurora played their drums in a trance. Where he stopped, the other spirits kept going, entering the circle and dancing to the rapid rhythms pulsed from the hollow wooden hearts of the instruments. Then some of the living humans entered the circle and danced with the spirits, some so close and synchronized that it appeared they saw the gossamer forms remove their heads, blow fire from their mouths, and stomp barefoot in feverish flourishes until one at a time the spirits climbed onto the backs of the living humans and rode them horse-like in the circle. As the spirits climbed onto the backs of the living, riding them like horses inside the circle, Foster's trance broke. He looked up and stared Franklin square in the eyes, never stopping his hands from licking the taut leather top of his drum. Then Foster played harder, faster, which quickened the pace of rain and aurora, the latter who threw her head back and ululated, the sudden birds in her throat flocking into the night sky, and the drumming ceased, and every spirit released their mounts and returned to the woods, leaving the living they had ridden, sweating, and spasming on the dirt floor of the circle. Foster screamed Franklin's name, which made Rain and Aurora look up and out into the night, searching for him. Rain didn't see anyone who resembled Franklin, but Aurora saw a silhouette of light in the shape of a man standing right where Foster looked. Foster screaming Franklin's name once more, his voice cracking. Again, he screamed, and where Aurora's bird voice had filled the cool air, now screeched the bladed throats of bats from Foster, who lowered his head onto the top of his drum and wept. Franklin lowered his head and wept as he left the circle and re-entered the woods. All the other spirits were long gone. Only the one spirit's footprints turned in the wrong direction remained, seemingly leading back to Turney. He made it to Creek Bridge, then to the tree soon to be called God's Place, and placed his hands on the titan's bark. Laughter. He had begun to laugh, and the echo of it shocked him into realization of what he was doing. His laughter reached ours, and the children listening to ghost stories and the adults telling them froze in the quick and deep cadence, like a maelstrom in their ears. It reached the grave of his so-called master whose skull sucked in the laughter through a bullet hole and shattered. It reached the top of the tree soon to be called God's place, weaving its thread into the branches for the wind to catch hold of. He rose to the sky buoyed by his laughter. He felt no heat and no chill. A small flock of lost birds flapped into and out of his translucent body. He felt no heat and no chill. And a small flock of birds flapped into and out of his translucent body And though time meant little to him in this state of newly dead, he still perceived speed and noticed its rapid increase as he brushed past another set of denser, darker clouds that smelled of rain and into where nested the stars that he knew in his death knowledge were other suns. There, forming a constellation light years away, was the face of his mother, whom he had never known except now in the all knowledge of death. It came to him that she was still alive, just hundreds of miles away from ours, married and free. She was free. The higher he went, the more he came to know, and with a spark's quickness, his true name came to him, Kwame Anon. My name is Kwame Anon, Kwame said, over and over again until what felt like crying came upon him, though it was simply the overwhelming sensation of being filled by the purple black haze of the cosmos. From the cosmos, he looked down onto the earth and into the purple black haze of ours' collective memory. The death knowledge the dead have gifted to them swept through him, and the answer to a question he had not yet asked, forgiveness for whom, came fast in a flux of visions. In a flux of visions, Kwame remembered what he once couldn't remember because he had been so long with it, like someone losing a pair of glasses that all morning rested at the top of his head. So long with it and it so long with him until every rejection, every instance of loneliness crept him closer to his immaculate suicide. He watched as the universe showed him Thileus scrubbing the walls and floors with a wash Saint gave her. She scrubbed, deadpan, so quiet it was vulgar, even after Kwame's old dried blood browned the suds. Yes, he thought, forgiveness for everyone and myself for all I did. The moment he forgave himself for all he had done, he began to dissipate. Uniting with the endlessness, two visions fell upon him, one of fear and one of war. Somehow he had to send warning to ours that they would fall they would all end up stuck in fear as he had been if they didn't.